Hi everyone, welcome back to Love Essie, the podcast. This is episode 45. And this week, I'm talking to you guys about book 10 in the Guild Hunter series, Archangel's Viper. Now this book, um, I reread it and then I got to like a certain point. I want to say I got like 60% in and I was kind of like, wait, I don't remember some of this. I don't, this happened? Where was I? I know I read this. Wasn't I reading this? Was someone else who looked like me and sounded like me reading this? Because I do not recall. And so um, I was very much like, but they had no idea. Because usually when I'm rereading, right, I'm like, oh, I remember this. or And I fully got to a point where I was like, wait, this happened? What was I doing? What was happening? What kind of read did I do? Because, oof. I missed the things, the details, the concepts, the the story. Um, but at the same time, I do remember, like, getting to the end. Like, I, I don't ever remember being like, oh, no, I never actually finished the book. No, I know I finished it. So, anyway, clearly my brain was like, mm-mm-mm. Um, and so, as I usually do, I want to talk first about the book without spoiling much of it if any at all and then I want to talk about it but like really go into spoilers um if you listen to last week's episode I mentioned sort of you know immortality and you know life and death and sex and how that all may you know is sort of working or sort of being shown to us in the series And I feel like in this book, we still continue to have that conversation. Uh, But looking at it from a different sort of viewpoint, we're still looking at immortality, what that means for the individuals who either choose to become immortal or are turned, you know, against their choice, which still happens. uh, And what that really means, right? Because, again, because vampires are not born, right, but vampires are made, no one's making an entire family of vampires, which means that at some point, the family members that a vampire has will, you know, reach their mortal, uh, they'll, they'll reach their mortal lifespan, they'll reach their, their last day, their end of days, and then they'll be gone. And that vampire is still alive, but mom, dad, siblings, aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews, cousins will no longer, you know, walk the earth with them. And what does that look like? What does that mean? Um, How does that function? And in the series, we've already been shown two examples of two vampires who sort of kept in, not sort of, Jean Vier has definitely kept in touch with you know his family line he's kept in touch with his sisters just you know the descendants of his sisters right his sister's kids who then had kids who then had kids who you know what I mean because he's two and change um Noel although it's really interesting because in the novella I believe Noel has kept I don't know if Noel specifically kept in touch with just his family or the children of the woman he loved who never chose him. It's something along those lines. So we've seen it before, this conversation sort of of 
maintaining connection to that. At the same time, we've also seen the opposite, right? People who either have no family like that to speak of and can, therefore cannot, you know, keep in touch with those, what that which does not exist. Um, and those who had family, but like things went left, didn't work out. Um, and so once again in this book, um, oh, I totally like, oh, I'm so sorry, friends. I forgot to introduce our main characters, like a butthole. So our main characters um, are Holly Soro Chang. I mean, her name was Holly Chang. And something real, real terrible happened. And for a while, she wanted to be called Soro. But she kind of, you know, has gone back to Holly. But it's kind of, you know, a thing. And Holly has been turned into a vampire-like creature. But she isn't exactly a vampire. And there is only her there are is no one else like her made the way in which she was um which is again not the first time we've seen this in the series right nasir is a vampire creature wholly unlike any other being on the planet so here again we're being shown someone completely unique not to say that everyone else you know all the angels are unique in terms of their power, but, you know, angels look at each other and it's like, oh, like, we are all angels. Holly doesn't, can't look at anyone and be like, you are kind of, kind of, sort of, but not really. And then our other main character is Venom. And Venom is the youngest of the seven. Um, he's 350 years old, um, which is obviously not young, but next to, you know, um, Dimitri at a thousand and I believe Nasir is in the six to seven hundred range and I don't remember Ilium and Audon. I believe they're around five hundred and change. Jason and Galen uh, I think Jason I'm pretty sure is, has been around for seven hundred years and Galen I don't know. I wanna say he's around the same age as Nasir he might be a little bit older he might be a little bit younger I mean he would have been around 300 maybe a little bit older when he first comes to the refuge and meets Jessamy which is you know sort of at the Ooh, good question actually anyway as I go on dungeoned um, so yeah, so Venom is, like Holly, a unique vampire. Now, Venom is very much a vampire, right? But Venom is not a typical vampire. Um, Venom was made by Neha, um, the queen of, you know, poisons and snakes. And the snake aspect of her ability is, like... He has snake eyes, guys. They're not contacts. They're legitimately snake eyes. And if someone's like, Easter, that easy spoiler. I mean, is it though? Because like, I'm pretty sure on the cover, he's got the eyes. So if you saw the cover, you would know. If you've read at least the first time books, you've heard of Venom, you know he got weirdo eyes. I mean, just sorry, I guess. Anyway, 
Um, those are our two main characters, Holly and Venom. And Venom is like 350, like I mentioned, Holly is 27. Because Holly just, you know, was turned into something very recently. As opposed to Venom. Where, you know, it's like young in immortal terms, but clearly immortal terms. It's like, girl, bye. 350 years, Dios. Ooh, how much you must have seen. So, we've got these two characters. And I want to say, I don't feel like this is specifically enemies to lovers. I mean, okay. It can be because they both very much like love irritating each other and aggravating each other. And are just kind of like, I have to be. I feel like on Holly's part, she's very much like, this dude is so annoying. And so I must annoy him back because I find him so annoying because he treats me in such an annoying fashion. Um, Don't you love my overuse of the word? Yes, yes. And I feel like. Venom picks on her because it's fun to pick on her because he gets a rise out of her. So that's why I feel it's more like adversaries to lovers, if that's a, that might not be the correct term. And, you know, they like to antagonize each other. Like when we first meet them, they're very much like, you know, um, but I don't, wouldn't say that's like enemies to lovers and, or, you know, you read books where like these two people do not like get along at all i mean holly and venom get along to you know it's a very very minute degree but i don't know i hesitate to immediately um categorize it as enemies to lovers but you might be like oh girl but it is and you are being a uh, weird and foolish and a uh, wrong so we have them and oh if you've read book one, I feel like there is, is a, not a parallel, but almost an echoing of that first sort of um, look into this world, right? Elena and Raphael are so different from each other, um, and but have to work together, and that slow... That gradual change from, ugh, I gotta work with you and, you know, either I don't like you or I'm scared of you or both. And then it gradually becomes like, oh my goodness, I think I'm attracted to said person. And then, oh my goodness, feelings? Are those feelings? I think those are feelings. When did they get here? How did I catch them? Thought it was inoculated? What in the world? And then it's like, okay, you are it for me. This is, we have found the one, the one and only, the truly, the singular being meant for me. Um, so in some way, I'm not saying oh, it's exactly, but I feel like it echoes that sort of pattern in some ways, um, which, you know, we don't necessarily see that sort of same thing happened with some of our, um, the other couples. I mean, all romance novels are going to have two people. Well, not all. All romance novels that aren't like friends to lovers. I feel like you're going to have two people who are kind of going to be like sort of dance around each other. Like, are we really doing this? Well, I don't know. I don't know. And then it's like, okay, I guess, you know, it does feel kind of nice. And then it's like, oh my God. 
The cavity of my heart is filled with them. Oh my goodness, even the walls of my heart are goaded with feelings. This one individual or these specific individuals. Ah! Um, so, similarly, Venom and Holly, I, you know, we start the book and they're kind of like, oh, oh no. And then as time goes on, they're both kind of like, wait a minute. You're attractive. But that's weird. And then it's like, you really are attractive. But I don't know. And then it's like, well, would it be so terrible? Then it's like, why aren't we doing this? Are we being foolish? And then it's like, oh my goodness. This is fantabulous. What time we have wasted. Um, But I do, so I was wondering as I, you know, um, I was going to be like, as you guys know, but you don't know because you're not here with me. Um, I often will sort of talk out loud about like what I'm thinking about the book that I've just read um, and I'm going to talk about the podcast. And one of the things that struck me was Book nine, Archangel's Heart. Oh, I love that book. Like, I really love everything about it. The feelings, all this. And then book ten, like I said, I couldn't remember a chunk of it. And I was like, why am I not, like, you know, going goo goo gaga, drool, you know, cry, sob, emotion, emotional wreck over this book? Because I don't think that it's a bad book. I think it's a really well-written book and what's happening in New York is happening concurrently to what's happening um in Lumia in book nine so even though this book is after it within the fit like the time frame of the world they're happening these events are happening at the same time just in different parts of the world um and Holly and Venom as a couple definitely work I really sort of appreciate um, seeing the two of them together, and yet there's something about it that I'm like, hmm, and I wonder if it's because, um, so there is a similar, again, it's a romance novel, so when you pick it up, you're like, I'm gonna get a happy ending, but sometimes you pick up a romance novel, and something happens that you are like, there's absolutely no way you you as a reader, or at least I often um, experience this. I as a reader cannot see how these two people will get there happily ever after. And very rarely is it like, oh, they're just not going to work out through their misunderstanding. It, usually when I have that feeling of like, I have no idea how the author's going to pull this one off. And in the process, I'm upset. And now I'm about to cry. It's because, you know... The issue that is about to keep them apart in many ways is sort of like a life or death type of issue. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh God, death is going to claim them. And maybe this will be the book where it was actually a lie and it wasn't a romance, a la Nicholas goddamn Sparks, and someone going to die. And someone I like going to die, not, you know, a character that I'm like, oof, good, finally, you know. So... 
this book has that, right? There is a very, we get to this sort of dark place where it's like, it's really hard to see how Holly can survive. And in some ways, it does remind me of the Psy Changeling book, um, A Blaze of Memory, that has Dev and Katya, because that is the exact same thing that happens. We get to a point where we cannot, as the reader, see any way for Katya to survive. And the devastation of that. Now, here's the thing. And A Blaze to... A Blaze to Remember? Am I making that up? Anyway, no, a blaze of memory. Wow, I took a walk to remember and a blaze of memory and turned it into a title of something else. Anyway, in that book, when we get to that point in that book, I ugly cry every single time. I sob. I have read that book probably six, like I've read it a bunch of times. Every single time. Ugly fucking cry. And I know how it ends. I know there's a happy ending. But the pain of that moment is so, so bleak, so bleak that I just can't, I can't get past it. Archangel's Viper, I don't know why I don't get to that point. I know that I'm supposed to emotionally and I am a little like, oh God, fuck, shit's about to get real, real here. But I don't, you know, crumple into um, an ugly, snot-ridden mess. And so I kept wondering and I kept sort of thinking out loud. Because at the same time, though, at the same time, the story doesn't feel incomplete. It doesn't feel like it is necessarily lacking. I digress. Or not I digress. I do think, or at least I feel, that I wish we could have spent more time understanding Venom and spending more time sort of in his 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 history. Um, and maybe that's why I don't necessarily feel the debilitating like no uh, moment. But at the same time, I'm like, hmm. It, it's just something that had me thinking. Because, again, as I had mentioned earlier, we're looking at or we're seeing the themes of family and how to handle that when all of a sudden you are no longer someone who's going to live a normal human lifespan like your, the rest of your family members. But in fact, you're going to outlive each and every single one of them. Assuming you aren't, you know, killed before then for various reasons, right? And in that case, Holly and Venom are kind of like opposites. Like what Holly is experiencing with her family is the opposite of what Venom experienced with his. Um, Which I think is a... I liked that that was done um, because... It allows for Venom to see, not, no, I was going to say to see what he didn't get, but not even that. It's just that it could have been like both of them having to go through the same pain, but I'm like, I'm, I'm glad that that's not what they get. 
that they don't have to navigate that ugly road together that that venom was on that ugly road and now he's left that road and he's on a much different you know he's on an avenue with flowers and trees and shrubs and joy and laughter with holly as opposed to you know an ugly road that is squalid and barren and broken and disturbing and alone um so in within this idea right of immortals and family and how you maintain those bonds right we know that the seven are hella loyal to each other and as we get books that include members of the seven we're also being shown how that isn't you know obviously the loyalty and the bonds of friendship are absolutely precious but those aren't the only important bonds right yes found family is everything but there are other bonds right including blood bonds with family members um and i feel like this book shows us sort of a different look at that especially in holly's case with her family which I really, really liked. Um, because it's like, yeah, let's not show you the ugly. Let's show you the positive. All right. I think, I don't think I can talk more about the book without spoiling it. So I think this is where I pause. And you hear my lovely voice in a commercial. And then I come back and it's going to be um, spoiler central. All right. Uh, hear you in a few. Okay, I'm back, and this time I'm gonna spoil Archangel's Viper. So for you all, like, oh, but spoilers—they upset my stomach, make you know my milk curdle, and um, l- like ruin my life. Then you know, don't listen. <laughs> um, or I don't know, don't listen. <laughs> But if, you know, you're cool with spoilers or you already read the book, um, so you you're you know what happened, then please carry on. Continue with me. So as I mentioned, family and what that means for vampires and angels and archangels is clearly something that were being shown throughout this series. This book, we get to see what it looks like when someone's family accepts them and, you know, without any caveats of like, oh, but you're a vampire and duh. Um, and what it looks like when your family rejects you for something outside of your control. Um, because, so, oh, I didn't mention this in the first, because I was trying not to spoil it. Ah, yes, I was good. Um, Holly, Holly is the young woman who is the survivor that they find, um, in Orem's, you know, uh, place in the very first book. 
So book one, when Elena has to go out and find, track down this angel, sorry, this archangel who has, you know, fallen into bloodlust and insanity and is, you know, blood glutted and is just, it's beyond what anyone even understands and, um, when they track him down, they do find one survivor, and her name is Holly. And Holly doesn't die. And now Holly was kidnapped off the street with her friends. She sees all of her friends murdered, tortured, torn apart. Right? He force feeds her his blood, um, and by force feeding her his blood, it changes her. Changes her makeup sort of on a genetic level. Um, and so at this point in the book, I believe Holly was 24 when she gets snatched off the street with her friends by Urim. She's now 27, so it's been three years. Three and a half, almost four years, I, I feel like, is sort of the timeline. So Holly is a young woman who didn't wake up one day and decide, you know what? I want to be a vampire and I'm willing to sign up and fulfill the 100 year contract to be a vampire. Holly was a human girl going to school, very happy in her human life with absolutely no aspirations to be any kind of near mortal. Guess what? Unfortunately, life was like, oh, yeah, we'll see. The crazy archangel is going to kidnap you. And here you are. <laughs> You're no longer mortal. Now, we don't know much about Urim, right? Because he literally comes on the scene and book one is cray cray and has to be killed by Raphael. So we don't really know what kind of angel was he? What kind of abilities did he have? We know that he, you know went batshit crazy because he didn't get rid of the toxin that builds up in archangels that is used to turn humans into vampires. So in case you forgot, the reason vampires are around is because archangels have to get rid of that toxin in their body at a regular sort of rate or else they go cray cray. And so that toxin is then used to turn humans into vampires. But like Holly you know, obviously was not like, I want to sign up. She was just like, nah. And for some reason, Erm decided that he didn't need to do that. And he could go cray cray. And it was fine because, you know, he was going to be stronger and smarter and blah, 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 blah. So fast forward to, you know, when we get to this book, Archangel's Viper. And Holly is a young woman who is like Nasir and like Venom uniquely singular right she has vampiric qualities as in she needs blood like vampires do but a much smaller amount of blood than vampires do and she still needs regular food like she's mortal which like vampires I don't remember what it age it is that they hit I don't know if it's right after they're made they no longer actually need food they just enjoy the taste of it um but like blood is literally what sustains them and that's not the case for Holly she needs blood and food 
So one of the things that I think is really interesting is that Holly at first tries to keep herself away from her family. She has no idea what she is. Everyone has, no one does, right? There's no way to know what her, what are the things that are going to, she's going to manifest or, or do or show because Urim is dead and he was crazy when all this went down. But then her family, um, but then after speaking to Jean Vier, who sort of explains the fact that like he visits, right? The descendant, like his sister's descendants, right? That is his family. He is, you know, the you know forever uncle of, of everyone and how important that is and how much um, having that matters, right? Because he, he mentioned something like, um, you know, having those family members is, you know, <clears throat> not to say that, uh, here it is. It, Janvier uh, said to Holly, I will miss my sisters, my entire vampiric existence. He said to her, um, I have a big family that loves me so, but to grow up with another, ah, Tite, Holly, that is a different bond. And yes, the children of his sister's children's children's children are his family. But the bond he had with his sisters, the women, the siblings that he had, those women who are gone, that type of bond will only ever exist with those people. And those people are no longer walking the earth. So Holly, right, has an older sister and two younger brothers and her parents. And she realizes that one day, assuming she doesn't die from whatever the hell was done to her by Urim, she will see all of them die. And so does it make sense to not have a relationship with them in the present? No. And so she decides to, you know, go back to her, not, you know, go live with her family because, you know, she has to stay at the tower so they can figure, keep an eye on her and make sure that things aren't going left. But she wants to be with her family and they welcome her with open arms, right? And her mother is kind of just like, can't believe, you know, you just weren't gonna, like, like what's wrong with you? Like, we're here always to help and support you. Um, she actually decides that she wants to go back to school and her parents are like helping to pay her tuition and are just kind of like, that's what we're here for. Now, by contrast, Venom does not have that, you know, connection to his mortal family, um, that bond. And that is because he's rejected by his family. Now... For this all to make sense, if you haven't read and you're like, oh, um, when Venom decides to become a vampire, he lives in the region. Um, he lives in Neha's territory. That's the part of the world, you know, and she's the Archangel of India. So he's living in that part of the world. That's where he's from. And he has always apparently been a really good chef, which I thought was so interesting that we don't find out that detail about Venom until his book. Because I, I don't remember ever knowing that Venom, like, was just, like, 
an amazing cook. But he was so good that like Neha, an archangel, would come to his family's inn to eat what he made. So he is, you know, doing his thing. And then his father passes. And then it turns out that they have ridiculous amount of debt because you know dad can never say no to mom and all the things she wanted and he realizes um that really the only way to keep his family from losing their in their livelihood their home is by becoming a vampire and of course he has an arranged marriage and the idea is that both him and his betrothed will be made and then marry five years after their making i believe because by that point they have their vampire urges under control all that jazz now one thing that's interesting is um the offer to become a vampire is offered to venom uh at a much earlier earlier than before he makes that decision um and part of it is because of how amazing of a cook he is and he has sort of like a throwaway line but he mentions that you know he was bit by like a a viper or something and he didn't like that (laughs) other people like get really sick or whatever and he was just kind of fine so he already had sort of um a resistance to um venom so then when neha makes him he ends up being you know like i said he has snake eyes and the way in which he moves and way in which he reacts is very other as in you know very much sort of like a snake as opposed to just another vampire so when he goes to see his family they are so horrified by his eyes and the fact that his I'm assuming his movement coupled with his eyes was enough for them to be like no and so even though as the eldest son he made the decision to become a vampire to save everyone from financial ruin his family turns their back on him which made me angry like when Holly finds out she wants to kick their ass I wanted to kick their ass because it's so shitty and awful to reject a family member who made a decision to save you you know what i mean like he wasn't like i can't wait to be a vampire like no he made the decision to be a vampire so everyone wouldn't lose their home and now you're gonna be a shit about it the fuck so unlike holly he's rejected by his entire family he had nine brothers and sisters right and he he mentions how he didn't never blamed the younger ones right his younger siblings um his young the youngest was five that's different right but the siblings that were closest to him in age and his mother right like how could you do that um because you felt such discomfort So we have a 350-year-old vampire whose entire family rejects him, who is unlike any other vampire on the planet, right? The only person who is as other 
as he is, is Nasir. And so that is who Venom is before he meets Holly, right? Now, Holly, because of the fact that, like, whatever Urim did, whatever Urim's blood did, does change her, um, which had me thinking, like, what could have Urm's abilities have been? Um, because that's not really talked about, right? Um, she's able to, you know, have very crazy speed and reflexes like um, like Venom. Now, there's a point in the book because she starts to have sort of arc and arc angelic qualities, right? She's able to do glamour, which is strange and shouldn't happen. And she's able to sort of see things at a sort of sonar radar level. And so I wondered if Oram had some affinity or connection with bats, which then I thought was like such a funny, almost like cheeky reference to like, you know, Dracula and shape-shifting into a bat and all that jazz. Um, And, you know... Urim obviously being an archangel, but having those abilities or having that show up in his, the vampires made, um, from him. And so, yeah, you've got Holly, you've got Venom, and they are both very, very other, um, while, you know, doing their best to blend in, sort of, to be human. And then they find each other. And like I said, they very much snipe and gripe at each other. And then clearly that turns into, you know, lust. And then, you know, love. And what I think is really interesting is that... Because Nasir, right, is all like... One day is just like, I'm gonna go look for, for my mate. Because it's time. I'm ready. I'm ready for her. She should hopefully be ready for me. So yeah, let me let me go find her. Venom has never looked for a partner. Um, Venom has kind of been like, yeah, no, everything's great. While, you know, having this massive gaping hole um, because his family was hot garbaggio. And he does mention to Holly how like closer to the, like the youngest brother closer to the end of his life tries to make amends and reconnect with him but he just can't handle um that because he knows that brother obviously is going to die because he's an elderly man and so venom ends up watching and no like watching the deaths you know the funeral pyres of all of his nine siblings and his mother which is something that i'm pretty sure the characters who choose to become vampires don't really think about when they're making that decision. It's like in the excitement to become a being that is near to immortality, they are forgetting the costs of that. The cost of choosing to live a lifespan that is, you know, multitude of human lifespans. Right, Venom technically made a choice, right, where Holly was, you know, kidnapped, tortured, all that jazz. But at the same time, it's also like, did he really make a choice? Because could he have 
figured out how to save his family from financial ruin and probably homelessness had he not become a vampire who knows it's really hard to even guess because i'm sure had there been an option other than becoming a vampire he probably would have chosen it um but what's in like so because he has you know none no ties to family and his only ties are to the seven right the loyalty that these men have with each other then comes along holly who is you know coming to terms with what has happened to her and the fact that she now is probably going to be immortal assuming that whatever erm did doesn't end up at some point shortening her lifespan um tragically and unlike venom her family they don't know the details of course it's um there is no like oh and then you know an archangel went cray cray and he you know there's an explanation that's given that sounds reasonable but has nothing to do with the truth but holly through holly i feel like venom can then experience having family right that isn't just the members of the seven um he can have a mother-in-law a father-in-law um a you know two brother-in-laws and a sister-in-law and have that community that bond that was you know ripped away from him when he first made the decision to save his family um and because holly is so other and different and unique both of them in each other are able to be with an individual who understands what that feels like to be so unlike everyone else to be you know weirdly fast um nasir has a mass you know a, a hot stone sort of slab thing in his apartment which makes sense right snakes love sunning themselves on hot stone now uh what's her name holly also likes it so a part of me is like did erm have an affinity to snakes was he developing developing an affinity to snakes to snakes wow to snakes i don't know um i mean do bats bats don't hang out on warm stone not that it, you know you know i'm like i'm like bat habitat what does that look like um but yeah it and i mean the bat thing could just be like also very wrong i just thought it was really interesting that you know all for a brief moment there she had like radar ability which was like hilarious you're just like wait what like echolocation like how hold on bats habitats include forest deserts grasslands and even cities bats make their homes in all sorts of places trees caves houses and buildings are all places where you might find a bat and not really helpful um but the two of them can be sort of weirdo and strange together in a way that i mean and which 
they couldn't be with anybody else, right? Because other vampires wouldn't understand how they... I don't want to say how they view the world, but the way in which their abilities function. Um, And I think the other thing that is... um, that to me, I was like, oh, this is why they end up together in some ways. Is that so? After what happens to Holly, right? Holly has gone through a horrifically traumatic event, and it's really easy for people to not want to hurt Holly and, in the process, coddle her too much, right? Because you know that she has suffered so much. She's gone through something that is unimaginable. So often, people who are really close to those people are going to treat them with kid gloves, you know. Because you don't want to accidentally pile onto all of their pain and suffering that they already have going on. Venom, though, is kind of like, she needs to know what's going on that's going to make sense for her to understand who she is and how she works. And you need to stop calling her because that's not going to keep her safe. That doesn't make sense. She is a grown-up, not a child. And treating her like one is, you know, unfair for everyone. Because then she also doesn't get a chance to grow into her strength, to find her strengths and grow into them because you won't even let her, you know, refine them. And I don't think it's conscious. Like, I don't think that anyone on the team is trying to hold her back. But because Venom is a lot more like her than anyone else, he understands that there are certain things that make sense for the two of them that wouldn't make sense to anybody else. And then also on the sort of same theme of, you know, family. All we know of Michaela, um, the Archangel of Budapest, um, is, you know, she's kind of, she's absolutely sunny, but a shitty individual and all that jazz and a liar and whatever. And yet, um... When we have the scenes where she's talking to Urim's ghosts, right? Where she's talking to the remnants of Urim that were still within Holly's body. um, And that were trying to get to, um, the you know, all of these pieces wanted to get together. um, Because, you know, that is the power of an archangel. When that echo and Michaela are talking it becomes clear that they did love each other I mean a very sort of twisted kind of love in some ways but that there was genuine feeling and not just uh I'm here for a good time not a long time um and it briefly made made me think because obviously Michaela is painted or is shown to be, you know, vain, cruel, awful, you know, not to say that she's like a terror in her, to her people, but she's, you know, ooh, she's always trying to, you know, do something to Elena or she's fine with Elena dying, doesn't even understand why Raphael would choose Elena over her. She's the most beautiful woman in the world, blah, 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 blah. Um, and so that kind of a person you're just kind of like oh well you know like they 
are just weird and awful and terrible. And then we get these scenes and you're just like, so like everyone else, she is was looking for someone or had found someone to love. But, you know, greed and wanting more had her overlooking something that could have been a beautiful relationship that would have lasted a very long time. Um, one of Jason's sort of allies in her territory is a vampire who lost his, you know, partner that he'd had for over, I believe they'd been together 500 years. Michaela has her, has the woman executed. Um, and that man, who I believe, I don't remember who was a vampire or an archangel, um, or not an arch, sorry, I don't remember who was a vampire or an angel, basically is living and survives to thwart Michaela on whatever small level he can. And if that means passing info to Jason or helping Jason, you know, get people infiltrated into the territory with a safe place, a safe house, that's what he will do. And Venom mentioned, you know, the fact that like, he couldn't under he he couldn't understand how Michaela didn't see how what she had done was so terrible because to find someone that you could be truly yourself with for all of you know your immortal life was you know so rare or just so difficult and again that had me thinking yeah if everyone around you who is mortal is dying then, you know, you can pull an ilium and fall in love with a mortal, but then the mortal dies. And then you got to mourn them for 400 years? Like, girl, what? Um, And for a brief second, I was all like, oh, like, angels are made. And so, like, the mother and father, like, they're all happy and hunky-dory. But, like, we've been shown multiple examples of angels who have had children and clearly are still warped and twisted and shitty human beings right andromeda nasir's um scholarly wife her parents karasemnon's um daughter and um the husband are pretty shitty people right and it turns out the homeboy is not even really andromeda's father it's actually dahariel who is i believe astad's second and currently sleeping with michaela anyway yeah, her her parents aren't like a happy couple who, you know, wanted a baby. Now, I also had the brief or sort of funny thought of like, do they even use protection? Because our, you know, angel births are so low. And then it's kind of like, well, if you aren't thinking you're ever going to get pregnant or it's going to take work, like, like, do they do they use protection? Who knows? Like, maybe it's like, for what? It's, it's not going to catch the first 7,000 times we do this. So we're good. Um, and of course, you know, contraception is also a modern concept. So they definitely weren't doing that for any angels that are like adult age. We, Galen's another example, right? His parents who both serve under, they both serve under Titus, right? Um his mom clearly didn't really want to be a mom. And yet, like, they had a kid. Um, another... Now, the one really, like, positive example I think we have of 
angel parents, just me's parents, definitely love her and are together and don't seem like they're scheming, conniving, horrible people. Um, But they also live in the refuge. And I wonder if living in the refuge amongst other angels, as opposed to living out in the regular world where you're seeing mortals and all that, um, changes how you are with your family. Um, The other example of like, you know, angelic parents, uh, Mahia's parents, right? Who are Neha's sis, twin sister, and then Neha's, uh, you know, support, you know, consort, husband, whatever. Like, that wasn't a happy relationship because, like, homeboy was cheating on one sister with the other. Um, because terrible. I'm trying to think of who else's angelic parents we meet. N- well, then we've got Ilium, right? The hummingbird is mom. And she was in love, I believe, with an archangel. I believe is is the storyline. But we don't know what happened. And she's, you know, so, so heartbroken. Raphael is the only angel, is the only child born of two archangels. Now, of course, is it possible that there's an angel, an, an angel or archangel that is asleep that, like him, was born of two archangels? Perhaps. But it's been so long that there is no record, no memory of that. And unfortunately, his dad went cray-cray and his mom had to kill his dad. So he doesn't have his dad. Um, trying to think of what other... So even though technically in the on the angel side where angels are, you know, born and not made. And so everyone in the family should have an immortal lifespan as opposed to oh shit, one of us is going to live for 9,000 years and the other is going to die at, at 90. Um, you don't have that as an issue specifically for angels um, and any archangels. But the very, 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 very long existence does mean that you have too many angels and vampires who are just too too sadistic, too... They're so bored with life because they've done everything and seen everything. And the only thrills are often, you know, pain and pleasure combined. And it's very much... a, a When you read that, it sounds like such a empty sort of existence. And... So knowing all of that, right, Nalini's like, well, but, you know, on the flip side, you can create that bond with someone and the two of you can together figure your path and live a happy life, right? And so now this is our third vampire, vampire pairing. Right? Because Dimitri and Honor are both vampires. Jean Vier and Ashwini are both vampires. And now here we've got Holly and Venom, both vampires. But they're also like weird. Because um, this year is, you know, well, this year is a chimera, um, which I still want to just pronounce Chimera. Um, and Andy slash Andromeda is an angel. And so. 
that they're not like vampire, vampire, but it is. All right, and Jason and Mahir are both angels. So it's like angel and angel together. Now, we don't yet have Ilium or Aldon's books. So I, I don't know who they end up with. Um, I'm very, very curious and I can't wait for those books. I don't know when they're coming. Um, ooh, when you guys listen to this episode. I mean, this episode comes out November 2nd, which means there are 22 days left until Archangel's son comes out, which will be Titus, the Archangel Titus, and the hummingbird, Ilium's mama. I am so excited, like over the moon. Now, I'm trying to think if there was anything else I wanted to talk about specifically for this episode. I mean, one of the things that this book did make me think about is how important it is to kind of focus on the present in the sense that, like, when Jean Vier reminds Holly about the fact that, like, there will be, there will come a day when her older sister, her younger brothers, and her parents are gone. And she can waste that time without them or cherish that time with them. And it just had me thinking of like, for us, right, in the real world, not the world of this book, right? We don't have immortal lifespans. Um, Most of us are hoping and assuming that we're going to die in our sleep, at home, in bed, when we're 95, 100, 105, Maybe 115, that might be pushing it. But sometimes it's easy to think of, you know, the future and focus only on that and miss what's happening in the present. Miss what's happening right in front of you. And it feels like this book is sort of being like, focus on now. Focus on what's happening now. Because none of us are guaranteed tomorrow, right? Right? None of us can know that for sure, for sure, we're going to wake up the next day and live another day. We can't know that. We have no way of verifying that. Um, we can't go up to, or up to the good place or down to the bad place and be like, can you confirm um, when exactly it is that I leave the Murka Poil? It's like, so sorry, can't confirm that. Um, And so I think that with these two characters, we're being reminded of that. And also, you know, loyalty and both the immeasurable happiness that can come from having the loyalty and love, respect and whatnot from those who matter most to you. But also the flip side, right? Um... Oh, and we also get Venom's real name, which is, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. I'm so sorry. But it's, I believe it's Tushar. It's T-U-S-H-A-R. If you're like, actually, it's Tushar or Tushar, um, please let me know. Um, but we find out his real name, which I thought was really cool. Because I also don't think, I think it's when Holly starts harassing him about it. Well, actually, does she harass him? I don't know, but I guess it always, it was just like, oh, his name is Venom. But then after a while, it's like, oh yeah, like who would name their kid that? So there must be another name, but I had no idea. And then we get it and I was just like, oh, we got his real name. Oh, that's so cool. 
Um, but yeah, I think that's all I had for y'all this week about this book. I'm going to pause here and then I will come back with, you know, gratitude of the week. Okay, for gratitude time this week, um, I actually have four things. Um, they're all pretty much music related except for one, (laughs) um, but I couldn't narrow it down to three, so whatevs. Um, the first one is, uh, the first thing I am grateful for this week. So I found white chocolate sugar cookie M&M's at, uh, a Dwayne Reed walgreens thingy and i was all like should i get these probably not am i going to get them of course i am and they were absolutely delicious that being said i probably shouldn't go looking for more bags but i also didn't get but saw an apple pie kit cat and i am gonna go hunting for that because that sounds amazing but I haven't had it, so I don't know. But the white chocolate sugar cookie M&M's, they hit the spot. They hit the spot. The second thing I'm grateful for this week. Um, so there are two songs out by two different artists that have just been like, oh my God, um, on repeat. Love them. One is Bad Bunny's The Kitty and Dermot Kennedy's Paradise with Medusa, I believe. And... I'm a big fan of both Bad Bunny and Dermot Kennedy. Um, You might be like, really? I mean, one's from Puerto Rico and the other one's from Ireland. I'm like, yeah, two islands, two very different sounds. Love them both. Love them both. Um, Yeah, no, just both songs have just made me very, very happy. The third thing, um, so I am a huge, huge Soka and dance hall fan. If you're like, what is Soka? What is dance hall? Just Google it um, or just think the Caribbean. Um, and so there is a DJ who I love, DJ Private Ryan. And he gave us three, one, two, three mixes this weekend. And his mixes aren't like, 20 minutes long like usually at bare minimum they're like maybe the shortest I've seen is an hour sometimes 45 minutes but almost always it's like at least an hour if not more of just an incredible blend of fantastic music and he does other stuff like he does mixes that aren't just you know soaking dance hall but he's just he's so 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 good and every time I listen to them like they bring me so much joy so I will be listening to them um all week long and then the last thing right the sort of like uh cherry on top of being grateful for this weekend um I'm about to say something that I know some of you are gonna be like (gasps) but I don't really care for Halloween and honestly half the time I'm annoyed by the holiday but I will say sometimes I'm pleasantly surprised by something um or sometimes I'm just like shocked to shit and happy that I'm shocked to shit and something happened uh Tabria or Tabria Majors created a 
be Halloween or be Halloween. Anyway, she created a tribute video for Halloween, um, highlighting like Beyonce's, you know, sort of top videos and recreating them. And when I say recreating them, I mean like Homegirl is in costume and dancing and lip syncing. And it is fantastic. It is on Instagram. I'm sure it, someone posted it on Twitter or whatever. It is so, so, so good. I was like, oh my God. Like the amount of work that that must have taken. Because she does a bunch of videos, right? And the transitions between them are really good. And she's got dancers. Like the amount of energy, work, effort, all of that. I was like, oh, okay. Halloween may be gross, but this is top notch, top notch. So that also made me feel like really happy and full, full, fulled, not fulled, filled uh, with gratitude. Um, that's pretty much all I've got for you guys this week. Um, yeah, this comes out on November 2nd and then on November 3rd, it's election day here in the U.S. and I don't know what is going to happen and things make it um, gross, ugly, terrible. I have no idea. So it is possible that the following week, maybe just like a really tiny episode of me being like, I'm alive, just barely, but the stress, the stress, the stress, or it may be longer. I don't know, but I don't want to like set you guys up for a disappointment by being like, guys, it's going to be a full episode. And then you get there and you're like, donde, donde, esto, this is a 12 minutes. She lied. She lied. I don't want to do that. So I'm just letting you know right now things are going to be I don't know um the uncertainty of it all is great I love all of the anxiety around the not knowing it's been (laughs) wonderful um so I'll figure something out it may just me being like hey guys um all I was able to read was these harlequins that are old and antiquated but they felt safe um or maybe that I don't know um oh my god guys what if I'm able to read one of the books on my TBR like what if I'm actually able to read one of the many books that I bought for bookstore romance day I'm pretty sure I bought like 15 books and have read none um so maybe maybe that'll happen I don't know. Who knows? But you'll get something. I just don't really know what that something is, looks like, sounds like, feels like, tastes like, smells like. Oh, look, and here I am getting weird and creepy. <laughs> anyway, have a wonderful week. Take care of yourselves. If, you know, the socials, the, be- the media socials are getting to you, take a break find a physical book because then when you're engrossed in a physical when you're engrossed in a physical book it is harder to like you know grab your phone and scroll do the doom scroll thing um drink water um try to get some sun i'm oh we had daylight savings if you're in the u.s and in a state where that happens um and you know, it's going to get dark real early, but, you know, think of the sleep. Think of the sleep. Get the rest. Get the rest. Um, I think that's all I've got for you guys this week. Uh, yes, I believe so. I, like, cocked my head to the side, like, you know, someone else. 
like a phantom spirit in the room is going to come over and be like, oh, Esther, actually, you forgot that you were going to talk about the thing. Like, no, I'm here alone. I mean, at least I hope so. Anyway, take care and see y'all next week.